I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, and welcome to ETFs for Beginners, where we'll be breaking down the barriers to investing in exchange-traded funds, otherwise known as ETFs. I'm Phil Muscatello, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Anna Christina. Hi, Anna, how are you going? Always great. And yourself? Always good. So, who have we got today? Uh, Today's going to be an exciting day. We've got Mark Montfort with us, who is a data scientist, product creator, and most importantly for today's conversation, an ETF enthusiast. Uh, He's also the creator of ETF Tracker, which is a free online resource where you can analyze Australian-listed ETFs. So today's conversation is going to be fantastic. Let's kick it off. First of all, thanks for uh, having me on the show, Phil and Anna. It's always a pleasure to be here. Phil, it's my second time around here and Anna, it's my first time interviewing with you. So thank you very much. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Mark, you've had a very interesting career in both finance and technology. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got to where you are today? I started off as all good technologists do actually not even in technology. I started off as an accountant. (laughs) And what I realized after my first year and a half of doing auditing for one of the big four firms was that as much as I like the spreadsheets and all that kind of stuff and playing around with numbers and charts, auditing firms was just not really the thing for me. And I was very lucky to actually fall into data. And I worked for a consultancy firm that was out there to share what they were doing with software that was helping analysts actually analyze data a lot faster, better, and more visually. And through learning all the skills around that, I then fell into finance. So it was all these very serendipitous meetings and moments, and it led me towards a passion that I have for data and finance in which I continue to this day. So it was very lucky and chance kind of meetings for me, but uh, it all pointed me towards being able to utilize the experience and background I have to delivering all this great analysis for the ETF world. So you talked a little bit about your passion for the finance industry. What is it about this space that you're so passionate about? Well, I guess I could say that it was uh, something that probably started off in the movies and watching those old movies. I mean, my favorite movie of all time is Top Gun and has nothing to do with finance. But, you know, back in the 80s, there was things like Wall Street. There was um, quite a few other kind of finance movies, more so in the late 90s and 2000s. But I always had this kind of interest in the space and thought that, oh, that's never going to be me. I'll never get into finance. I thought you have to study to get into the capital markets. But it turns out that as the finance industry was moving more and more towards needing technology, there was actually a space for me. And I was very lucky enough to learn about the industry as a technology guy because I was brought in to rewrite the technology for a boutique equity research firm that was run by one of the former heads of equities, a major bank here in Australia who had uh, gone off and started that. And because of that, teaching them the tech side, they taught me the finance space and I was able to, I guess, reutilize the accounting knowledge of balance sheets and income statements and all that kind of stuff to analyze 
analyze companies and do it via a data lens. So combined skills really led me there. And it's just such a diverse kind of space. There's so much news, there's so much interest, and there was a lot of travel that I got to do as well from Melbourne, where I started working in that space across to London, New York, and elsewhere. It's something that took me all over the place. Mark, were you ever disappointed with the reality compared to what it was like in the movies? <laughs> Whether it's data or it's finance, a lot of people come with the allure of, uh, let's say it's data science. Oh, I'm going to create all these fancy machine learning models and stuff like that. When in fact, as a data scientist or analyst, the majority of the time you're going to spend is on mundane cleansing, moving and shifting around of data and, you know, trial and error and making a whole heap of mistakes to get to the point where you're very happy with your data workflow. It's the same thing in finance, like all of the awesome kind of dinners and uh, cocktail parties and travel and all that kind of stuff. That's a small part of it. And, you know, really seeing interesting companies, but the majority of it is a lot of hard work learning and understanding what is going on, whether you're looking at things from a macro economic lens, which is what I did for the most part, or if you're looking at analyzing companies and what are the numbers telling you in terms of a story, there's a lot of hard work there and it's not for the faint of hearted, but it certainly is much less alluring when you realize just how much the mountains of work are to try to understand anything in either data or finance. But that said, it's very rewarding when you're able to do so. When did you first become aware of ETFs? ETS was something that I became aware of, I guess, when I started in finance. So it was something that we looked at almost straight away, but it wasn't something that in terms of the research that I wrote and the analysis that we did, that was something that we, you know, were in deep on. It was just something that we were slightly aware of that the work that I did initially in finance was focused on macroeconomic trends and how information was flowing throughout the macro economy, so to speak. And then also looking at companies from a bottom-up perspective, we had a a quantitative ranking system that we used in the firms that I was working with. And it was from there initially that we looked at how can we do an analysis on an ETF, given that an ETF is a basket of stocks and we've got this great system for analyzing those stocks, maybe we could do some sort of analysis on ETF. So we started to poke in on it when I was in London, but it wasn't until I got to Australia and I started working for the ASX and they were the biggest exchange for ETFs here in Australia. Australia, next to Chi-X. And yeah, it wasn't really until here in Australia that I really got a hands-on kind of view as to the process of ETFs here. And was your first investment an ETF or was there something else? Did you actually dabble in single stocks? I'd like to say it was an ETF and I was smart and picked something that was diverse and has the safety net of, you know, if the market goes down, it doesn't go down as much. My first investment was actually a bit of a hype stock being Tesla, even though, you know, my day job was to analyze the fundamentals and really see whether the numbers supported the thesis for going long or buying into a stock. And the numbers certainly didn't support it, but it was just for me very hard to ignore something that was as popular 
as Tesla was. And I made a good bit of money from that, which was lucky. But uh, I did burn, you know, some cash on things like Bitcoin by buying at the top and selling out when it was going down. You know, I would suggest for everyone that it's better off if you can make some mistakes and hopefully small number in terms of the dollar value you have on those investments. But you need to feel that pain because the market does not always go up and it's very hard to stick to a system because humans are such emotional creatures. So, Phil, I'd love to say that it was an ETF and I was smart and I listened to what was out there online, but I didn't take my own medicine. But that's not to say that I don't preach that, you know, people, if they're getting started, pick ETFs. We all make mistakes, I think, in our investing journey. So it's always uh, humbling to hear that other people do as well. Especially for beginning investors, I think so many of them are very scared to make mistakes. You know, there's analysis paralysis, wanting to get as much information as possible. In terms of that, I know you have ETF Tracker as one of your free resources. What other things do you think would be really important for new investors to consider to become more informed? Well, um, first of all, the things that they should do is look up what the ASX and what the ETF issuers have in terms of how to get started or get educated in terms of the different terms of ETFs. There is a definitions, there is um, key phrases and like any industry, there's always the things that you need to learn and understand as to what people are talking about when they mean FUM or AUM or MERs and management expense ratios and all that kind of stuff. So it's always good to learn the terms and there's great resource from the ASX and the ETF issuers. But if people are looking into this space, the one thing that I would suggest and one of the probably advantages that uh, this space has over single equities and stocks is that ETFs have a lot of data that is published for free. So sure, Google Finance and Yahoo Finance, you have a lot of price information and there's ways that you can get a lot of fundamentals on companies. But with ETFs, you actually get to see that data and more thanks to the information that's published by the ASX and ChiX. So you can really get a clear picture of what is popular. So if you just listen to the news or listen to what people talk about, that gives you the subjective point of view. But I would really suggest that people need to look under the hood, do their own research, use tools like what I've got at ETF Tracker. There's also Market Index and many other resources. In fact, I'm not in competition with these guys. I actually want people to use these other resources. So on my site, I list a lot of these other resources that are available, whether free or paid for. But it's all there because there's a lot of this free info out there and people would be remiss if they didn't do their homework. Absolutely. So much free content out there. And in terms of ETF tracker, how do people use it? Like what should they do when they land on ETF tracker? Well, I've got a getting started series with the ETF tracker. So as soon as they land on the page, there's a couple of buttons there. The main button is to go to the application. We'll talk about that. But first of all, if people are just getting started and you know they're coming from ground zero, they're level one in terms of getting started, the Getting Started series, which is a multi-part series, walks them through where to just initially get started in terms of how to understand things. So whether it's reading, watching, or listening, and I don't know however else you want to consume things, but those three main ways, I list a set of resources for people to get started. And from there, 
We then break down in the second edition, the data and the definitions. The third edition is how to do the analysis. What are the things you want to look out for in terms of ETFs? And then in the fourth and fifth parts, it's like, well, actually, how do you do the analysis using the ETF tracker tool? And I list some videos that I've created. And I also show a lot of screenshots and animated screenshots to show people exactly where they need to click on with the app. But some people, they just jump straight to the ETF tracker site. And I've got professionals and even just retail investors using the site. And, you know, I'm getting some good traffic on there. The thing is with the site, it is a desktop tool. So it's free. But for me to make a mobile app, that would have cost quite a bit more money. And it's just not something I was prepared to do just yet. And I'm not sponsored or anything like that. I'm not looking for anything at this stage anyway. I just want to keep it all free. But people can use the ETF tracker when they go there. They've got a couple of different options depending on what it is they're after. A lot of the popular features are analyzing holdings. So people will punch in a couple of different ETFs that they've got in their basket to see how much crossover there is with the holdings that they've got. They might not realize that if they buy Ethi and NDQ, that there's actually a lot of crossover between the two and it may force them to reconsider how much they have of one or the other in their basket. And then we do some other analysis and ETF snapshots there on the ETF tracker site. But apart from that, there's other articles and there's other resources. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So, Mark, you mentioned about crossover before, that there's a problem with crossover between ETFs. What is that problem? Why is that a problem for people when they're choosing ETFs? Yeah, great question. The thing is with um, ETFs, they've got these great labels and they've got these great names and tickers, things like ACDC or ETHI, because it's an ethical ETF. The ACDC is something to do with energy, you know, it's not just the rock band. And they've got these great names that are out there. But the thing is, people will often just buy things based on the name. And unfortunately, what that can lead to is an over-concentration of different holdings. ETFs are supposed to be a great way within a single transaction cost for you to get exposure to a bunch of great equity kind of holdings. But if people buy multiple ETFs and they don't check under the hood as to if those holdings are similar, what ends up happening is you might have five or six different ETFs that have so much crossover in them. You're paying for something five or six times when you could pay for it just once, whether it's brokerage costs, management expense ratios, and other fees that are associated with those ETFs. It does impact you in a certain way. So that's just one thing. And then the other part is that if you buy a lot of ETFs, you might think that you've got diversification when you look at performance returns. Correlation is another C word apart from crossover that people need to get used to in the world of finance. And correlation is how does the price, not just price, but in this case, how does the price move with different things that you've got as holdings in your portfolio? And if all of the holdings that you've got 
move in line with each other. They've got a correlation of nearly 100%. What that's going to mean is that, yes, they might go up as the market goes up, but unfortunately, they're going to go down as the market goes down. And unless you've got some of the things in your basket whether ETFs or a mix of ETFs and stocks, unless you've got some things that are diversified, you are going to be exposed when the whole market kind of turns. And a lot of investors haven't had to think about that because a lot of retail investors jumped in during March last year when we had the plummet and then the pullback, and they haven't experienced much in the way of loss. So, you know, given where we're at now and rates are potentially rising and there's a bit of a worry in the market about Omicron and other environmental kind of factors, it's worth people looking at their portfolios. So are there any other common mistakes that you've seen new investors make? I wouldn't necessarily call it a mistake, but it is something that I don't see people do enough of. And I think it's great that people go to whether it's the Facebook or the Reddit groups, and I help run one of the groups. I mean, there's great ones out there, whether it's Rask Australia, the Aussie Fire Group, Fire being financial independence, retire early, or the one that I run, which is ETF Investing Australia. There's a lot of great groups out there to get advice for. But what people don't do then with that advice that they read, that subjective, qualitative information. They don't do the quantitative part, which is looking at the data. What are the signals telling you in terms of the trends of the data? And because, as I mentioned earlier, the ASX and CHIX have a lot of great info that they publish each month, we can construct a picture of what are the trends going on for flows of funds under management, for the transactions, are ETFs being traded more or is the popularity dwindling, or even the cost, how the costs change over time. A lot of people don't look at that information enough. They just look at a point in time like now, and then they don't see that actually there's a bit of a history behind that. So people need to look at the data a little bit more. Mark, you're clearly passionate about data and analytics. Why do you think this area is so important when people consider ETFs in this space? I think it's really important whenever you're analyzing anything. And sometimes, depending on what part of your life you're looking to do analysis on, you're going to get information that isn't necessarily in the form of data, but there's information everywhere. And especially when it comes to ETFs, it would be such a shame if you didn't look under the hood because ETFs, there's a lot of allure to ETFs. Like I said, there's a lot of great names and titles and ticker symbols and codes out there. They're very clever with all that kind of stuff. But the fact is, is that there is a lot of great information and when you piece it together, like what we've done at ETF Tracker, or if you're using another service, another one of the great services out there, you get to see a very quick snapshot and it saves you time when you've got the data and you piece it together in a way that you can just at a glance, see what is going on. Is a trend rising or is a trend falling away? Is an ETF really popular? How has its performance been this year? You get to see all of that information when you look at the data. And I'm very lucky that my career and I guess the way that I'm kind of programmed myself, I'm the type of guy that I'm passionate about, you know, looking at the numbers and I'm more of a numbers guy than a words guy, which you wouldn't find if you ever met me at a cocktail party or I can talk people's ears off. But 
uh, I guess I'm kind of lucky to look at both, but I really do think that looking at the data and having a good understanding of that is going to make people's, and this is the most important thing for me, people stress about their investments, but you need to do the things where it's the analysis and the research that you do. It has to be whatever makes you sleep well at night. And if it's not, you probably have to rethink about what it is that you're doing. I think that's an important point there. In, in terms of setting your own goals, like how you might invest might be different than me. As you said, you want to be content with the decisions you make. And that's why that analysis is so important. Based on the analysis you have been doing, what do you think are some of the most popular themes you've seen within Australian ETFs? Yeah, you know, I've been doing this since uh, late 2019. And one of the trends that I saw there, and it's continuing, and I think it's actually heating up, is this theme around ESG. And ESG, for the folks that aren't aware of out there, just think environmental. There's a lot of information that is coming into the space that uh, investors are really wanting their companies to be ethical, to have social governance, to have a lot of the the things that are about doing good for the environment and for people when it comes to the investing that they do, whether it's a fund that's not listed or an ETF, people want the people that are managing their money to be doing good with it. And what we saw throughout the late 2019, especially into 2020 and continuing to heat up in 2021 was ESG being quite a popular asset class. And the thing is, one of the most popular ETFs to have inflows. And so we measure it by the amount of FUM or the amount of inflows, the amount of money that is going into those ETFs. The fourth most popular in 2021 so far up until October has been ETHI, E-T-H-I from BetaShares. And it has remained the most popular, but there's so many others that are coming to market with ESG. And then the second one, I would have to say uh, the thematics. So whether it's video games, whether it's technology type ETFs, or even lately anything to do with blockchain or crypto. So we don't yet have a direct Bitcoin or Ethereum cryptocurrency ETF, but what we do have are the picks and shovels, the investment in ETFs that have companies that have miners, game developers, anything that is involved in the blockchain. But soon, and hopefully whether it's this side of the year, we get an early Christmas present or maybe Maybe it's like next year, there should be the spot Bitcoin or Ethereum type ETFs, whether it's from VanEck, ETF Securities, BetaShares, or some of the smaller ones like Monochrome or Cosmos, which have interest in this space. So yeah, those are some of the areas that I think have been really interesting to date. You've referred a couple of times to funds under management and inflows and how important it is to track that. Is that because money can as easily leave an ETF as going in? And does that affect the price and the performance of that ETF? Is that what you're kind of referring to? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think it's also a sign of popularity. So if an investor is looking at things, it's not just the price of an ETF. It's also what is happening in the underlying fundamentals of that ETF. And you can see things like the number of trades that are happening each month on the ETF, how many times it's passing back and forth. You know, what's the transaction volume and the value, the dollar value of those transactions. And equally important are things like the funds under management. Globally, it's known as assets under management. We're a bit special here in Australia. We're one of the only places that calls it funds under management. But 
each month you get to see how much more money is going into or flowing out of an ETF. So if people look at the data, whether on ETF Tracker or you piece it together from the ASX and ChiX data that is there for free, you get to see that in March last year, there was more money going out of the ETF markets and then it started pouring back in afterwards. But yeah, it is a sign of popularity and money can go out of ETFs. So if people are worried about, you know, what's going on in the industry or they're looking for maybe a good time to buy because they want to buy that dip, you get a lot of that information there from the data. And the thing is funds under management, that is a product of the amount of money going into ETFs as well as the price of those ETFs. So sometimes like, was it October or or maybe a little bit before that, what we saw was that there was a lot of money going into the industry, but because price returns were so negative overall, what it meant was that the rapid growth that we had in terms of funds under management kind of stagnated for one month, but then we saw it grow again recently. And hopefully by the end of the year, we should be over $130 billion in terms of funds under management for the entire industry. So we love uh, making predictions about the future because, you know, it always makes astrologers look good. Have you got any fearless predictions for us, Mark? Yeah, um, let me just get out the uh, crystal ball, so to speak, in terms of what is happening or what will happen in the space. And I always look at predictions based on what could be the future based on most recent history. And there's a very famous kind of term in this space called now casting. And it is something that the US Federal Reserve do in terms of forecasting where GDP is going to go. But in terms of my now cast, based on the most recent trends, I have a fearless prediction that crypto, blockchain, Web3, DeFi and anything to do with that new type of technology and way of finance, the future of finance, as people say, I can just see that growing more and more popular. And what has been really interesting, and it's a bit of a reverse as to how things are traditionally done. Usually you would see something being popular at the business end of town. The institutions find something popular and then it flows to the retail investors. But in this case, it's actually the reverse. So crypto has been so popular amongst retail investors since 2013. And congrats if you've held on to Bitcoin since then. But institutions are a bit late to the game because for various reasons, they need regulation. But when you consider that there's still so much pent up demand from institutions into the world of DeFi and NFTs and all that kind of stuff. I mean, just recently I saw the launch of an ETF that focuses on digital currency and NFTs in the US. So because we're still at the start, I can see that space just growing more and more to the point where the ASX and ChiX will probably need to create a category that is just cryptocurrency of ETFs because I can see that globally and also here in Australia just getting so much more popular. Such great information, and I'm sure there's more great information out there in terms of your podcast. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. It actually started off as a newsletter, and that's all it was going to be. But when I first launched in July this year during the second Sydney lockdown, depending on where you lived in Sydney, it was either your second, third, or fourth. Luckily for me, it was just the second based on where I lived. But I thought of starting an ETF newsletter, just wrapping up globally and locally. What are the interesting articles, videos, and podcasts? 
podcasts and a couple of other, you know, charts of the week and stuff like that. But as soon as I launched it, what I realized and got feedback from with friends and acquaintances that were first reading it was, oh, I prefer to watch or I prefer to listen. So I said to them, well, why don't I actually create an actual kind of podcast and not just a podcast, but actually a video recording of that as well. So what I ended up doing one weekend was learning how to do all this kind of stuff. And so it uh, was probably a bit poor in terms of sound quality, not as good as you know what's going on here. You've had years of doing this kind of stuff and I'm still you know getting there, but I do the weekly wrap up and I had episode 20 that came out last week in terms of exchange traded Fridays, that weekly newsletter. And also as part of that, I did midweek a 12 part series interviewing just like this, other investors and ETF experts just to get their different opinions, whether they were an issuer, the exchange itself or advisors or just people involved in the space. And so all of that wrapped up at least for 2021 last week. And we'll look to continue that when the new year comes about after I've had a little bit of a rest there. But yeah, if people want to check that out, it's the ETF Tracker show. And ETF Tracker is all one word. Well, congrats on getting your 20th show out and whatnot. Thank you. And if people want any more information, where else should they go to check things out? Well, there's a couple of places apart from the ETF Tracker website, and I'm lucky enough that I've had enough content there, and I hope good SEO enough that Google ranks it as soon as you type in ETF Tracker, but they can go to etftracker.com.au or search via Google, but also on Ausbiz, I'm lucky enough to be able to share the insights that I do on there each month, and there is a page that they've created for myself as well as other experts on that show. So you can type in my name or ETF tracker and that should come up. And I've also been on other things, whether it's Livewire, the Australian Shareholders Association, I've done a video with them, or also SAFA, the Stockbrokers and Financial Advisors Association. So if you just look up ETF tracker, these things will come up as you Google them. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Mark. It was super informative and um, excited to check out ETF Tracker some more. Thanks very much for having me. A pleasure to be here. Thanks very much, Mark. It's been great having you back again. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend. It may help them and help us keep going with the show. Also, don't forget to rate us. ETFs for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not ETFs for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances, or current situation. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 